stories, they have to be primal. They have to speak to something big that hopefully even takes people back to something they loved or hated in, in their childhood. I think that's why horror is so popular. Even as kids, being scared was one of those emotions that, that you know, we loved. I'm not so sure that I love horror movies, but he's right. There's a reason that we pay to go to haunted houses every year just to get scared. There's this internal switch that takes us back to a moment in our childhood, and whether it was a fond memory or not, there's something in us that likes being taken back to that feeling. That's why we cry in movies about toys or dogs, because they take us back to a moment, a memory that was poignant during our childhood. The best stories can do that. We talk about this, how to speak to the human experience, and so much more this week on an amazing episode of The Story Podcast. While story invites us to ask powerful questions, your life and your story are shaped by the questions you ask. Where is your curiosity pointing? What is the story that you ache to tell? The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. To be a writer, we have to sit down Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. Rise up, artists. Your canvas is the consciousness of this generation. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. During some recent time in Los Angeles, I had the privilege of sitting down with my good friend, Jim Kruger. I am a creator and destroyer of worlds. <laughs> Every day I, I, I will create civilizations and by nightfall, they will fall. You know, all, of, all about being a storyteller is creating and changing and the cruelty of edits, you know, and kind of the greatness of discovering, you know, those that survive a story. How about that for an answer to the question, what do you do? I mean, this is by far my favorite answer that we've had on the podcast yet. And as profound and poetic as this answer may sound, I think he's right. The role of a storyteller is all about creating new worlds and discovering the narratives around them, then determining whether or not they will survive the storyline. And Jim Kruger is absolutely a builder and destroyer of worlds. He is an award-winning filmmaker, New York Times bestselling author, copywriter, video game developer, comic book writer, and graphic novel legend. He is quite literally one of the best storytellers that I've ever met. He's worked on everything from the X-Men to Batman and Superman to the Avengers, Star Wars, the Justice League of America, the list goes on and on. And he's also the former creative director at Marvel Entertainment Group. He's brought a lot of stories and worlds to life, but let's start with how he got his start as a storyteller. Yeah, I started in advertising. I, um, well, I should probably stay, say that I started in first grade when I discovered lying and then discovered what a bad liar I was and how I had to become a better liar if I was going to get away with things. And so storytelling probably really began there with, with Mr. Leith and, um, <laughs> and that first grade class. But um, as time went on, you know, I never dreamed that I'd get to write film and TV. I never dreamed that I'd get to do comic books or graphic novels or any of this stuff. So when 
it came that point where I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I thought, oh, well, I know I can kind of write. At least I can tell bad jokes. And I get along with people. So why don't I like do something like advertising where it would give me a chance to, you know, tell a story in seven to 10 words while at the same time kind of having a business side and, you know, maybe that would be good. Mm -hmm. Um, but instead it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily good because I, I was in advertising in Wisconsin. So, you know, some of my first big clients were, you know, the Rotary Club in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and the gig was to write ads for the local coho fishing derby. <laughs> and I look back on that now and I'm like, it was so lucky. It was so, it was so fun and it, it won awards, but I didn't do things the way I should have. Like, you know, when, when we produce our advertising, we didn't show it to the Rotary Club to, um, to approve it. We just kind of put it out there. <laughs> so people would, people would open their, their newspapers and big, you know, it would be a full page thing in, in the Sheboygan newspaper. They'd turn it and, and you would see, hang out with the local hookers. You know, or there was a billboard that said, keep your fly open for three days in August, you know, and the stuff just went out there. Um, it was really successful and it was really fun. And, but really, it seems to stick with the theme of like worlds falling apart and civilizations yeah, well, rising. Yeah. Yeah. The pillars of Sheboygan <laughs> were shaken to their core. But I'm sure like most would argue that everything is storytelling. A lot of advertisers obviously consider themselves storytellers. Did you realize in that season that you were a storyteller? I don't think so. I, I think I, I think I just thought that I could turn a phrase, and I, I really wasn't. I really didn't have a sense of, of what that is or what that means. Um, you know. Yeah. Because again, I, I think I think my dreams and my hopes for myself were too small. Hmm. Why? Uh, I don't know. I think just the, the, the childhood I had, I, I grew up in very much, you know, the leave it to beaver kind of everything was really protected and everything really was, was bubbled and safe and all that sort of thing. And, um, I think it took some crashing and burning in my life for, for everything to work out. Like, I'm so like, oh, thank God for those three guys that pulled gun pulled a gun on me and you know yeah i mean i'm grateful i lived through it too but yeah. but all of a sudden i began to become aware of of things like irony i began to become aware of of even my own my own story and and it almost seems like to be a storyteller you need to be aware of your own story and you need to be aware of the fact that somehow in some way there is some sort of structure to what's happening in my life. And then that, that applies to the stories I tell. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're, it's almost like you're saying stories aren't that interesting without the conflict. No, no. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think I was telling you before, I just saw, I just saw the man who invented Christmas, the, the story about uh -huh. Charles Dickens writing the Christmas Carol. And it was really, really interesting because First of all, that movie is so much the writer's journey because you see him trying to come up with characters and trying to come up with the right name. And as soon as he does, as soon as he gets the name, those characters show up. 
And by like halfway through the movie, two thirds of the way through the movie, he is so frustrated because the characters won't leave them alone. No matter where he goes, they're following him. And it's like he's becoming this tortured soul. And as the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future begin to visit, as he's writing the story of Scrooge, those ghosts are haunting him more than Scrooge. And so like anything, writing a story is always about kind of becoming more aware of your own story hmm. so that you can bring depth. And it goes back and forth. I mean, you know, I wonder what kind of nightmare Stephen King has. <laughs> that must be bad. Or, <laughs> or, must have a or you know, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how much healthier he is now after having written all these stories over the years. He must be like really a gentle, you know, <laughs> he just must I love. got them all out. <laughs> I think he's really excited about that new Ferdinand movie, you know, the cartoon about the bull. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's got to be all about Little House on the Prairie reruns and yeah. really sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, you worked in advertising, but you have a uh, a lot of people know you for your work with comics and graphic novels. And w was that a part of your childhood? It was. It was. My my dad had a garage, and and he was an auto mechanic, and he had like four or five guys working for him. And so, um, our house was maybe a mile from from his job, and so from his garage. And so what would happen is even when I was like only five, six years old, he would call home and he would say, okay, you know, get Jim ready. We have a tow job to go on. And, you know, I wouldn't do anything to help him really. I'd, I'd go on, I'd, you know, I'd go on the trip. I'd maybe hold a dirty rag for him <laughs> after he had hooked something up and that kind of thing. But every time I climbed up in the truck, his payment to me was a couple comic books. And he was always grabbing things like Jack Kirby. So it was like Kirby 70s stuff. And so that was really cool. And so it's kind of like Rosebud. You know, it's kind of like it's comic books aren't just about like storytelling or a unique way of storytelling that um, is different than prose and different than film and needs to be. But it's also got like all this nostalgia for me and all this kind of innocence and dreaming and, you know, looking at the future and like, would you say, uh, you know, let me not imply that. Let me ask it in the form of a question. Why are there so many grown men still reading the same stories they were reading when they were seven or oh, eight or nine? Yeah, no, no, no. I what mean, does that say about us as humanity? Well, I think the thing that it first says is the things we experience when we're children are primal. And, and we carry them with us through the rest of our life. And no matter what, no matter what, we, we always go back to those things as the good or the bad. You know, I mean, I know plenty of people who grew up in the opposite of the leave it to beaver, you know, family. You know, some have even grown up in the I'm going to use a cleaver family, you know, <laughs> and it all went bad. Um, and from this point on, they, they don't trust sharp objects, you know, and they know that that's bad. So, you know, it sporks all the way. What does it say about stories? Well, I think it also says that our stories need to be primal or they're not going to matter. That's why even right now is, you know, there's a brand new Star Wars movie coming out. I still look back at that first one, episode four. It's the most primal. 
It's the mo- it's it's the simplest of all of them as far as good versus bad. It's the simplest of all of them of, you know, the want for things. And I, I like, like, practically all the Star Wars. I, I even like the prequels to a degree because of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I feel like his story kind of tracks through in interesting ways. But, you know, they have to be primal. They have to speak to something big that hopefully even takes people back to something they loved or hated in, in their childhood. I think that's why horror is so popular. It's, it's because even as kids, being scared was one of those emotions that, that you know, we loved. It's like a love-hate thing. Yeah, totally. We would never say that we love it. We would always hate being scared and say we hated being scared. Yeah. But yet we were drawn to it. Oh, yeah. Part of wanting to be afraid speaks to a deeper kind of human desire not to be afraid. Like, I think it's like, it's like, you know, you have to go towards one to get to the other. Or you think about like a Western or anything like that. It's always about a hero entering a cursed town, entering a world where someone is cursed. And it can just be an emotional curse. It doesn't, I'm not talking about a supernatural experience here, even though we were talking about fear. I'm talking about, you know, someone just coming into a town where people, or into a room or a life where someone's sad, you know, where where that emotion is the curse, you know, and that emotion is the thing that's keeping people, keeping that person from becoming great or from moving on in their life. It's it's the thing that 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 keeps them stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and our hero, if they are the hero, they just the way story works. I mean, you know call it the tyranny of story. The way story works is that hero coming into that person's life will have to become sad, will have to take the curse onto themselves if only to be transformed into what that person really needs to be set free. And that's just the way all story is. If we're able to move towards fear and be really afraid and then climb up on the other side we're not as afraid. It's like when, you know, I told you before I was held at gunpoint. Um, I was, I don't think I was ever the same after that. And it's not like I had this courageous zeal for life and I was going to make every moment count. And, you know, I was Mm -hmm. like starting these motivational talks, but, but there was definitely something in the sense that I wasn't as afraid anymore. That, that the unknown brought something that was not as scary, but could actually be good for me. And so, and so it's the approach to starting to look at the things that we face in our lives and we say, okay, wait, this is actually something that's, I may not, I may not feel the benefit right now, but there may not be a benefit or there may be a benefit after this is all over. It's like, it's like, sometimes I think like, not only do we love superhero movies, because of how a superhero, you know, because of just how cool it is or the fight that they fight, but because there's always some sort of element of tragedy for our character before they become the hero. And that tragedy transforms them into a hero. And I think we want to believe that for ourselves. 
that, that the struggles we go through, the tragedies we face, the losses we experience will somehow transform us into something better. Yeah. And so that's the fear thing too. Sure. That somehow becoming afraid will trans, will, and doing it over and over to the point that we can laugh at fear and not be minimized by it or held down by it, that somehow going through that over and over will set us free to not be afraid for some of the really scary parts of life. Yeah. And so I put all that stuff in my stories. I want to always bring it back to the application of sure. like writing stories and stuff like that. But, you know, that's what I mean. It's like even writing stories, it has so much to do with with yourself and how you want to approach life and how you, what you think other people want to even read or how they want to approach life. I could talk to Jim for hours. Actually, I suppose I do talk to Jim for hours. But if we played the recordings of all those conversations, they'd last for hours. It's far too much storytelling experience to squeeze into single podcast episodes. But we'll get back to the rest of this interview in just a moment. It was actually during this conversation in LA that it occurred to me, you know, we should just host Jim for a full day storytelling workshop. We talked about the idea as soon as we were finished recording. Thankfully for all of us, he agreed. On Saturday, March 24th, we'll be in the great city of Chicago for a full-day workshop on discovering your creative voice. You'll learn how to find your voice, how to shape your voice into a story. You'll also learn how to get people's attention with your story, how to know which project to pursue with your voice, so much more, including some special Q&A time with Jim. All of that in a small group setting of less than 50 people. We announced the workshop about a week ago, and it's already over half sold out. So don't wait to grab your seat. Visit storygatherings.com slash workshops. You'll be shocked at how affordable we've made this workshop available to you. It won't cost you thousands of dollars like so many of the workshops from teachers of Jim's caliber. It won't even cost you hundreds. Invest in yourself by reserving a ticket. Grab your seat at storygatherings.com. See you soon in Chicago. And in the meantime, let's go back to Jim and one of my favorite stories about his time spent being held at gunpoint. I had this apartment that was this this was I, I, I grew up in Wisconsin. I was married in Wisconsin, was ultimately divorced in Wisconsin, but that's that's not part of the story necessarily <laughs> maybe a little bit. Um, you know. And there was a knock at the door, and fortunately, you know, fortunately it was just me at home. There was no, there was no wife there because it would have all gone bad if if that had been the case. But there was a knock at the door, and I went to the door, and I was maybe a block from the Capitol building in Madison, Wisconsin. And you know, you look through those peepholes, and the people on the outside are always a lot smaller than they are in real life, and that's what they don't. That's where the peephole really lets down. <laughs> you know, the whole thing. But anyhow, there was one guy out there, so I thought he was just asking directions. So I opened up the door, and there were two other guys, you know, the, on both sides that the peephole, again, bad peephole, wouldn't <laughs> show. And so all three pushed the way into the apartment. They were looking for money and drugs. And I was like, I, I think I went into some sort of, cra just some sort of, I was just smart without even knowing I was 
being smart because as they pushed their way in, I pushed my way through them out into the hall. So now they were on the inside of my apartment and I was in the hall and they were like, just come in. Look, we're just here for the drugs. We don't want to hurt you. You know, we're here for the money, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, first of all, I don't have money and I don't have drugs. There's, there's a stereo over there. It was a wedding gift, but it's not a very good marriage, (laughs) you know, and this stuff is so funny now, but I'm like, I wasn't trying to make jokes then. I was, you know, this was just what was coming on. So anyhow, I'm in the hall, and then two of the three guys come out into the hallway. And so they're with me out in the hall while the third guy's looking around. And I said, look, I think there's, or, or the one guy says, what's your name? And I said, it's Jim. And they said, no, it's not. It's Bill. And I said, um, you know, it's Jim, and I have my ID in my wallet. You can... It, it's in the, it's in, you know, it's probably on my dresser in the bedroom. They're like, go and get it for us. And I'm like, if I walk in there, you're going to close the door. I'm not going to go in there with you. And I kept on thinking that if I was in the hall, maybe someone else would come down the hall and, and that would change everything. And who knows what would happen then. Um, but they were like, go get it. I said, no. And there was more frustration clearly on them. And they looked at the other guy and the other guy in the hall with me. And, and the guy said, well, you better do what we say. Cause he has a gun. And I said, well, let me see it. So the guy pulls out a semi-automatic, um, <laughs> second guy goes in and now it's me with the guy on the gun with the gun. And all I was doing was thinking, Oh my God, this is, <laughs> you know, I should probably say at this point that, that maybe like, my my wife at the time was really religious in the worst possible way because she had been praying to God that I would die in a car accident. And in this moment, I was like, he's answering her prayer. It's not a car accident, <laughs> but this is so unfair. And then I was thinking about how my mom would always want me to watch movies like Quo Vadis, where, where the Christians are marched to the lion pits at the end. And, you know... I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die, and this is it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I need to take, okay, okay. And I, I looked at the guy, and I said, look, I'm so afraid that, that you're going to shoot me, and I'm going to die, so before you do that, you need to know that God loves you. And the guy's <laughs> like, oh, shit. And the gun went down, and he runs down the hallway and pounds, you know, runs out of the apartment building. And I was like... <laughs> and then the two other guys were still in my apartment. So I wasn't going to go in and be like, hey, blah, blah, God loves you guys too. Like, you know, I knew I had worn out my welcome on that one. So I ran down these these other halls um, in the building and I pounded on neighbors' doors. And finally, a neighbor answered the door and um, let me in. And I called the cops from there and stuff like that. And that neighbor's name was Bill. Oh, and it was just like all of a sudden, you know, for my life, for this beaver cleaver experience I had had, um, you know, I was like, hey, you know what? You can kind of do everything kind of right and still you can be in a bad marriage and death can come to your door. There's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be more to even story than that. And um, there's got to be a sense that things, and, and because this guy's name was Bill, and there's one other little bit of irony I'll tell you. There's like, I was like, if my life is beginning to show irony, if my life is beginning to show and I'm beginning to experience tragedy that I've never experienced or loss that I've never experienced, how can I even begin to 
write stories that don't. And so it was really kind of the beginning of change. What was interesting is when I got back to um, back into the apartment uh, and the cops were there and everything was safe and stuff like that, the, they did take one thing, and that was my briefcase. And uh, what, what I love about this is they took the briefcase, and um, later on that night, I got a phone call from someone who found the briefcase like on in the middle of a street. It had been wrenched open, and clearly the guys took it hoping that in there there would be money or in there there would be drugs. And when they opened it up, they found all my drawings, all my sketches for stories, and all like my write-ups and things, stories that... I'm still in the process of telling. And it's like, what was great is this was a moment in which I had one of those experiences that, that, that not only, that, that gave me create, gave me courage to even become a storyteller, even to become more risky. And I think that that's what it did. It made me take risks a lot more. Is that when you decided no more advertising, I'm gonna go. Um, that's kind of when I decided, first of all, that Madison wasn't good for me. Madison, Wisconsin wasn't good for me <laughs> because also while I lived in Madison, uh, I had seen a gang beating on State Street and I found homeless people living in the basement of a different apartment movie, the one uh, apartment building. It was the apartment building I moved to when this one clearly became so safe. So even when I approached Marvel to write advertising for them and do marketing for them, I sent them a card that said, you know, in the past three months, I've been held at gunpoint, found the homeless people living in my basement and witnessed a gang beating. And then the card opened up and said, I think I'm ready for New York. And that was <laughs> nice. it. But what's so interesting is I went to New York and I never faced anything. It was uh, just easy. It was All of our listeners fun. in Madison right safe. now are like, Jim, you're giving us a bad rap, man. Yeah, look, I still go to Madison for food when I'm going through town. Yeah, I, I could I could drive through northern Illinois when I drive back to L.A. when I visit family. But no, I go through Madison. Great restaurants, you know. Clearly, it wasn't about Madison. It was about me, that, that something had to happen and something like kind of lucky. Yeah. Even if it seemed unlucky at the time had to happen. Yeah. To go, to go from writing advertising outside of the world of comics and graphic novels to working on advertising at a company like Marvel, do you feel like Mar your, your season at Marvel, was that the transition to go from Oh, it really was. To, yeah. It really was. Because it was kind of, the I guess, the blend between those two worlds. Right. And even while I was at Marvel, you know, some, some really awesome people gave me chances to write some short stories. And so, like, bit by bit, I was al already moving there. And, you know, there were just things that would happen, you know, I would be in the back of a bus talking to some guy and he would turn out to be the executive producer of the Batman movies. And then he would want to look at something of mine and be like, oh, I think I'd like to option that, you know? And then when that option lapsed after a year, he approached me again and he said, look, I don't want to pay any more money for the option, but if you give me one more year, um, we'll use that year and I'll teach you how to write a screenplay. And so it, it was like there were there were things, happenstances, the things that happened that clearly showed me that that there was a structure to what was going on, which made me you know love structure more and more all the time. I usually try to watch a movie twice if I liked it, and the first time is just because I want to know what happens, and the second time is always to see how the writer really set this up. 
and to appreciate the job they did. You know, for me, and what I always tell people is, if you're going to be a writer, you should write something every day, you should read something every day, and you should watch something every day. And always story-related, like, not news, you know, even though <laughs> there you, are stories there. Do you think it should be in the genre that you're trying to write in? Yeah, yeah, I do. But, you know, sometimes you can draw things in from other genres, too. And so it wouldn't be, you know, the really great genre pieces are also surprising. Like they embrace the rules of the genre, but at the same time they bring something in that that you never expected. Like I want to do this, this I, I want to do a, a ghost story um, that has to do with a tragedy in American history's past because I'm like, you know what, if you're going to tell a ghost story, if you're going to tell something about a haunting, then maybe it should have to do with the conscience of America. So it's something that we should be haunted by. You know, so things like that. Yeah. So then it's like, ooh, can I bring this American history piece in? Can I do this? Yeah. Out of every element that it takes to tell a story, a great director, great sound design, great actors, it really just comes down to writing. At the end of the day, you have to have great writing. And and I don't even, you know, I don't know. I. I, I meet so many great writers. There are so many great writers out here, and, and you know, it's so awesome that there's so many opportunities to hear them talk about their craft, you know, either at the WGA or, or other places. But I think all of us kind of are in awe when we hear a great story. Like, like there's a process of writing where it's not, it's not just coming off of us it's like we discover it like and and that's what Tolkien said like when when he was going through and he was finding all these ancient languages and and ancient names and that sort of thing he he claimed that the lord of the rings kind of manifested itself out of these stories or these words that he found that had been lost words in 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 history and so it was more about a story he discovered than, than a story that he just made up. And I think a lot of writers feel that way. I think what it says to those who are listening is that there's so much opportunity. Because I think without that opinion being shared, it can feel somewhat like, what am I doing? Why should I be trying to write? There's, you know, there's already a million other writers in this town pitching ideas and studios only have so much money, only so many of these films can get made. So like, what's And the that's all true. Trying? Yeah, that's all true. But I mean, your story, your own story may be that you have to go for it. It just may be, you know, and I, I tend to think that that the writers who get to be here for a long time um, are the ones who have kind of gone through their own struggles and wars and they figured out how to survive here while getting the opportunities to pitch and while getting the opportunities to do things like it takes a while, like what's the thing you're gonna do to pay your bills until you get to do this? Mm -hmm. And as long as you can figure that out. Well, a story this year, you talked about the long story. Um, right. You're one of our top rated speakers this past year, which is awesome. Thousands of people listening to this podcast who aren't in the room. Sure. Maybe give them a flyby overview of your strong opinions regarding long form storytelling. Sure, well, I mean, all you have to do is, is look at, um, Look at what's happening with television right now and how, I mean, there's so much opportunity in TV, 
to to tell long stories, to tell se- stories that go by by seasons and all this sort of thing. And I think that what the what what happens is that, and and this almost seems like a religious thing. I, in fact, I think it is. You know how at the beginning I mentioned that that I would get into my dad's tow truck and there would be comic books there waiting for me. Well, some of the comic books that were being written and and drawn then are still going now. You know, like I think I think there was a Spider-Man 124 that was in the mix at one point, and now I think there's like Spider-Man's getting close to its 900th issue. Hmm. You know, and I don't have them all. Um, you know, I I like Spider-Man, but you know, I, I haven't followed the character. But there's so many people out there who have followed the character that entire time, who've who've seen, you know, who've who've seen young high schooler Peter Parker go on to college and they they saw him fall in love with Gwen Stacy and they saw Dr. Octopus accidentally kill Gwen Stacy's father and as Gwen Stacy's father is dying he tells Spider-Man that he knows he's Peter Parker and he wants him to take care of his daughter and then and then you know 2 years later that daughter Gwen Stacy the love of Peter Parker's life is killed by the green goblin which causes Spider-Man to go through all kinds of things. They they know when he began to fall in love with Mary Jane Watson, and that he know they know when there was a cloning thing, and he thought Gwen Stacy was coming back, and so he dumped Mary Jane Watson and would later marry her. And they remember the story when the doc when Doctor Octopus did a Freaky Friday on his deathbed, so that Peter Parker was in Doctor Octopus's body when Doctor Octopus died, and Doctor Octopus was now going to be this better Spider-Man. And they've tracked this story for years of their life. And what happens is events that happen in that story begin to become markers for things that happen in life for those people. And what happens is the long story that, that we see, whether it's on a TV series that continues or a book series that continues or a comic book series that continues, or like Star Wars, which gives you know, which continues, or James Bond, though James Bond's not as good as an example, though I'll come back to James Bond, or Doctor Who, with all the regenerations, is people begin to mark their lives, you know, according to the story. So the story actually becomes a part of them and a part of their history and how they follow it. It becomes like part of a person's character. And yes, I mean, there aren't that many people anymore that would say, ooh, you're just a geek or anything like that because the geeks and nerds have t- taken over. <laughs> and and I'm so glad about that. Um, but, you know, it's it's like there's this, it's it becomes like a religious thing. It's like we begin to attach ourselves to bigger stories and bigger narratives. And those narratives even kind of echo in a way that our lives and, and our experiences become bigger as well. I, I remember moments in Daredevil while reading Daredevil, the Frank Miller Daredevil, which is still the best Daredevil ever, you know, in which Daredevil was driven to insanity. He lost everything, his job, everything, his identity, everything. And all he had was something his dad told him, which was never give up. Keep on fighting. And so you would see him go through things as bit by bit he was being slowly being restored. And the one thing that kept on getting repeated was never give up. 
And so like, I remember applying that to moments in my life and thinking about that very panel or those very panels of a comic page where, where he said, never give up or, you know, quotes from token or different things like that. I said, James Bond wasn't very good because there's been very little growth with James Bond. I mean, certainly, certainly, um, the movie where he, where his wife gets killed at the end, um, which is now like one of my favorite Bond movies because it seems like it's one of the only one that really only ones that really matters hmm. um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Like that's amazing. And then like even Skyfall I thought was amazing because it really went into James Bond's origins and what makes him kind of this flawed knight and all this sort of thing. Like that's cool, but it's hard to mark those things. But you know, it's it's like almost saying, do you remember where you were when Kennedy was shot? or when John Lennon was shot or when, you know, this thing happened. It's like, like yes, we have days in history that, that bring certain memories to us, but there are moments in pop culture and the long story that we measure our lives by too. And it's really interesting, you Very know, and that, that, that also speaks to why, you know, as adults, so many of us go to those things we were when when we were kids or those primal things and and it speaks to to moments and you you mentioned before uh you you said the word epic at the beginning i i think the long story and the way we relate to it makes our lives more epic and i think this is even an explanation why you know why our world religions are so big you know why you know why Christianity here here in America is so, so prevalent? It's because that's a really big story that people attach themselves to and believe in. You've obviously had a long career as a writer, something a lot of people dream of. Um, like every career, I'm sure it's been filled with its ups and downs. Oh yeah. Out of all the things you've learned over the years, um, if you could just pick one piece of advice when maybe it's a young writer that you meet at a at Comic Con who comes to your booth and they're just like Jim. I want to do this. What advice can you give me? Well, the the really the nicest version or or the best version, the 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 most important thing I would say is don't be afraid. You know, I think I think fear is the enemy of us all. It's not it's not laziness, it's not procrastination. Um because procrastination is is fear wearing a disguise. You know, it's don't be afraid. Procrastination is fear wearing a disguise. Yeah. What was it you said earlier in the lobby downstairs? Uh, it was about deadlines. You said a deadline is a form of suffering for writers or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I was talking about how suffering is necessary. Well, we were talking about how, you know, if how suffering or if something's going bad for me or if I'm facing some sort of family drama or, you know, sickness in a family member, does that suffering get in the way of my writing or does it help it? And so the idea was like, no, 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 it helps it. And then I said, yeah, deadlines are their own form of suffering. Yeah. So. And so you think all those things, it just has to do with fear. Yeah. Yeah. I think fear, fear is the, the ultimate enemy of all mankind. So then how do we get past it? Because it's easy to say, like, oh, don't be afraid, just go for it. Yeah, no, no, that sounds no. like a bumper sticker. Yeah, well, now, now we're really going into 
philosophy, but I think <laughs> I, I think there, off the top of my head, there's there's some sort of relationship between fear and wonder. And so, what what that relationship is, or what that struggle is, is wonder moves us forward even into the unknown. Fear holds us back from the unknown. I'd love to challenge you guys this week to face some of the excuses that you may be making about your work. Like really take a moment and look at why you haven't started your book or posted that painting to sell. How can our stories shift our culture's narrative if we are too afraid to tell them? Let's be a community who chooses our curiosity of the unknown, the curiosity of what could be. There's so many worlds waiting to be created on the other side of our fear. Remember, if you enjoyed this conversation with Jim, don't forget to secure your seat for our workshop with him in Chicago on Saturday, March 24th. Remember, you'll learn how to find your voice, how to shape your voice into a story, how to know which project to pursue with your voice, how to get people to pay attention to that story, so much more. We're going to keep this event small. Less than 25 seats remain. Uh, Less than 50 people are going to be at the workshop total. Again, go to storygatherings.com slash workshops storygatherings.com slash workshops. You can secure your seat now. As always, subscribing and rating this show is so helpful as we continue to serve you guys, the story community. Everything we do is created with you and your work in mind. Not just this podcast, but also our membership-only platform, StoryCraft. That's where we post weekly premium video content. We host a monthly interactive video live stream with creative professionals like the guests you hear from on this podcast, like Jim. You can visit storycraft.co, storycraft.co for more information. I hope to see you there. I am Harris III, and until next time, thank you guys so much for listening. The Story Podcast is produced by Harris III. It is mixed by Chad Michael Snavely with original music by Aaron Farmer. The Story Podcast is a production of Astoria Collective. To learn more about story, visit storygatherings.com.